Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Warehouse. My name is Mark Dickman. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. Today, we wrap up our series called Antidote. The last eight weeks or so, we've been journeying through the Old Testament of the Bible, looking at some of the epic narratives and some of the epic figures of the Old Testament, some of the epic characters, as we've been looking at this idea that throughout our lives, as we confront change and so forth, that there is always uh, this malevolent temptation, that's this malevolent force that seeks to press into our lives. And God in his goodness not only gives us commands of how we counteract or prevent that through his antidotes, but he always roots his antidotes for living well in his promises and his character as, as to who he is. And when we began this series a number of weeks ago, we began uh, profiling the life of the Old Testament character Joshua. Joshua, the man who received the leadership baton from his mentor Moses. And we saw Joshua as he was beginning his his leadership of, of the Hebrew people of the nation of Israel. And then we've been journeying throughout the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at Moses. We've been looking at Caleb. We've been looking at the people as they've journeyed around the Sinai Peninsula and wandered and, and waiting to get into this land promised to them, to their ancestor Abraham. And so today we're going to wrap up the series by kind of wrapping up with Joshua. We met Joshua many weeks ago when he was a younger man, and now he's an old man. He's uh, going to give his farewell addresses to the people. And he has some stark words and some challenging words for the people that we can very easily apply to our lives today. So that's what the theme of where we're going today is all about. The tension point is Joshua will, will challenge the people that in their lives that they will be prone to drift, that they will be prone to find greener pastures elsewhere, that God's ideal for their lives sometimes and perhaps oftentimes won't seem as good as perhaps uh, he makes it out to be. And this song that the band is going to play deals with that tension of how do we live with the uncertainty of our life as we seek to actually find our way through life and hopefully find our way back home. So with that, welcome to Warehouse. Again, as we wrap up this series called Antidote, we began the series looking at Joshua. Many years ago, as the great leader of the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, Moses, was essentially retiring. And he was passing the leadership baton to Joshua, his hand-chosen successor. And we, a number of weeks ago, looked at Joshua's, the, kind of the charge given to Joshua, as he was now responsible for taking the nation into the land that was promised to them hundreds of years before, to their ancestor Abraham. And now as we wrap up this series, Antidote, we are coming back to Joshua. And we're coming to the, really the last two farewell speeches that this great leader gave. And I believe he's worth paying attention to, because Joshua is one of those rare people in the Bible who has a constancy to his life. Kurt talked about the idea of integrity last week. There's an integrity to Joshua's character that's so compelling that from the earliest glimpses of Joshua's life to the very end glimpses of Joshua's life, there is a consistency, an integrity to his life that is compelling. And so here we have a couple, te a couple texts from the last chapters of Joshua where Joshua is giving, him, giving the people basically his last words. And you'll read about those words in Joshua 23 and 24. They'll be on the screen. Uh, the first five books of the Bible, largely credited with 
from a Moses standpoint, those were the books that Moses read, or Moses wrote rather, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. And then we have Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, which is about Joshua's life and about the people as they're going into the land promised to them. And now as we near the last two chapters, these are the last two farewell speeches that Joshua gives. I'm going to take some excerpts from both of them, and then we're going to look into them a little bit more uh, in detail. So first, Joshua chapter 23. This is his second to last farewell speech. So after a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, probably a hundred plus at this time, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, he was their general, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea in the west? The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised to you. So be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Basically the first five books of the Bible. Their Bible was very small at that point. Without turning aside to the right or to the left, do not mix with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And then later in verse 14, so now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. In other words, God's antidotes for your life are true. They've been fulfilled. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so too will he bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. And then fast forwarding to chapter 24, this is in fact the last farewell address from Joshua. And Joshua summoned all the tribes of the leaders this time to Shechem, and this, this is a, a famous excerpt from that last farewell address. So now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my family... We will serve the Lord. Now, it's difficult for us really to get an accurate sense for what it must have been like for those people to hear this man give those addresses. I mean, think of it this way. Who would you name? I mean, in this room, we are probably very divergent politically, philosophically, ideologically. And we're just a small microcosm of, of this city. Who would it be in this city or in this nation that if this person gets up and, and speaks, the whole nation would pay attention? I mean, we live in such a divisive political climate this day where, I mean, the, the lines are so starkly drawn 
and, and the animosity and the disdain on both sides for each other is just profound. Who would be that national leader that when they get up to speak, that the whole nation would kind of be, be wrapped in attention? I mean, who would that be? And yet, that's exactly who Joshua was to the people at the time, to the Hebrews. He was, uh, you know, to use the vernacular of the 80s commercials, he was the E.F. Hutton who, when he spoke, people listened. And about the only thing that I could compare this to is going to sound strangely familiar to some of you, or strangely surreal to some of you. I don't know if some of you have, have, have seen this, but totally quirky moment of my life where a number of years ago, I was watching television, and somehow I stumbled across the Daytime Emmy Awards. And I don't watch daytime television, so I have no idea why I was interested in the Emmy Awards. But there was the actor Tim Robbins uh, presenting a Lifetime Achievement Award for daytime television to none other than Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. Now, let me paint the scene a little bit. Daytime Emmy Awards. So think about who's in the seats at this glitzy auditorium. Daytime talk show hosts, Hollywood celebrities, soap opera stars. And here comes Mr. Rogers on stage and cute Mrs. Rogers looking at her husband adoringly. And for the next three minutes, Mr. Rogers has that auditorium around his face. They are totally captivated by what this man said because, I mean, what are you going to despise Mr. Rogers? I mean, who are you? And as he gives this beautiful and soft-spoken and just, just heartfelt three-minute address, the tears smearing the beautiful makeup job of these actresses and these, you know, stout Hollywood men just kind of melting. You can YouTube it. I think in our, in our day and age, I mean, who else outside of Mr. Rogers can command that type of audience? But yet, to the people thousands of years ago in Israel at Shechem here at this last address, Joshua was all that and more. You see, Joshua had such a history with his people that the people gathering around him could look at his life and say, that guy has been there. I mean, from the very earliest stages of the Exodus, Joshua was himself a slave in Egypt when God called Moses to deliver the people. And then when Moses delivers the people miraculously out of Egypt and they cross through the Red Sea, Joshua was there. Joshua walked through the Red Sea with water on either side, uh, walked through on dry ground. Joshua was there. And then when they travel southward toward the Sinai Peninsula, where most historians believe that Mount Sinai is actually located, where Moses goes onto the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai to, to get the Ten Commandments, no one else was allowed on the mountain but Moses and Joshua. Joshua was there. And then later when the people build the tabernacle, basically the portable worship facility, Joshua was right there as the first tabernacle was being constructed. And then as they journey north, Joshua was with them, and then as they're on the footsteps of this land promised long ago to their ancestor Abraham, Joshua, as you've heard us talk about throughout this series, Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that go into the land. They bring back the minority report saying the time is right, we can go, God is with us, we can go into the land. Joshua was one of the faithful spies who said we can take it. But Joshua was also in the camp where the people rebelled. 
And because of their disobedience and because of their rebellion saying, God has left us out here to die, Joshua heard the, the shouts of the people. And for the next 40 years as they wandered southward around into Jordan and, and at the footsteps of, of Israel, Joshua was with those people. And Joshua watched his friends, people that he grew up with, he watched them die over 40 years in the wilderness. And somehow his heart did not grow bitter. He did not become acidic in that time. Such that by the time it was actually, he was ready to, to enter into the land promised to Abraham, you know, hundreds of years before, Joshua was ready, and Joshua leads the people miraculously into the land. The stories that this guy could tell would have kept that community just fascinated because he knew their parents. He knew their grandparents. And this guy was solid. He had the same kind of integrity where the same guy that they knew decades before was the same guy that, that now is a very old man was giving them his, his parting words. And one of the most profound things that he has to say to the people, and if you read in more detail chapters 23 and 24, his, his last two addresses, he warns them that as good as God has been, as, as right as his antidotes for life have been, as faithful as God, as God has been to deliver you into this land, Joshua says, be warned. The tendency in all of our lives, Joshua says, is to drift. And to find ourselves saying, you know, maybe God doesn't have our best interest in mind. Because Joshua reminds them that there is still work to be done in the land of Israel. There are still people there who worship different gods, who have a vastly different way of loving their neighbor and a vastly different way of seeing life. And there is immense cruelty and there's immense wickedness in the land. And Joshua says, you will be tempted to follow their gods, to worship their gods and to follow their ways of life, because you'll find yourself over and over again saying, maybe, they, they, maybe they're onto something that, that we don't know about. Maybe the grass really is greener over there. Maybe God has brought us all this way and all, through all this time just to kind of abandon us here. And Joshua warns the people that there will be drift in your life if you're not careful. And for us, we have to face that same tendency to drift in small ways and large ways. Some of us in this room could catalog a list of fantastic sins. Some of us, it's maybe a little bit more subtle. Some of us can maybe uh, chronicle the list of drift of, of just even the car ride in this morning and some of the things we found ourselves either saying out loud or thinking as we navigated traffic on our way here. Some of you will find yourself drifting as you go into work tomorrow and you deal with incredibly difficult coworkers and you find yourself saying, maybe when the coworker isn't around and maybe finding yourself in a side conversation about a coworker who's driving you crazy. Some of you, because you're so frustrated with your place of work, you're gonna find it very easy to drift and find yourself doing some pretty unethical things at work because your boss or your supervisor or the machine just is driving you crazy. And some of you in your relationships with your family members and your friends find yourself drifting and doing things and saying things that in your more honest moments you find yourself deeply ashamed about. We all have a tendency to drift. And Joshua warned the people that the drift, even though God has brought you to this place and even though there is peace in the land now, be careful. One of the lines from the song 
says, when the world finally fulfills me, I won't forget my way back home. From the Christian worldview perspective, though, the world will never fulfill us. If we seek to find our fulfillment here, if we seek to find all the answers to life just in living life as good 21st century Americans, the Christian response to that is we will always find ourselves wanting and we will always find ourselves aching and we will always find ourselves drifting way off course. And Joshua, in the way that Joshua puts it, he says, you know, it, for, for some of you, it will be the fact, and even live in this room today, for some of you, serving the Lord, serving God will simply seem, in his words, undesirable. And you'll drift away. And you'll seek to blaze your own trail. And so he says, make a choice. It's either going to be Yahweh, the name, the Hebrew name for, for God, Jehovah, it's either going to be Jehovah God or something else or someone else. Make a choice. And he says, you've got to make that choice. I can't make that choice for you. And the people at some point, actually, one of the parts of the text that we didn't read, the people actually said, no, Joshua, we're in. We're, you know, we're going to do exactly as you said we do. But Joshua said, no, you're not. And the people said, yes, we will. And Joshua said, no, you're not. Really, your hearts will be inclined to drift. There's a hymn that sometimes we sing here at Warehouse a prone to wander, Lord, I fear it, prone to uh, leave the God I love. Joshua warns them. And he encourages them to make the choice to serve God. And he lays that stake in the ground that says, as for me, I'm 100 years old, and I have to make that same commitment now to serve the to serve the Lord, me and my family are making the decision. We are, re we are renewing our commitment to God by renewing that commitment now. Because Joshua was emotionally intelligent enough to know that even as high a, a bar as he had set with character and leadership and the whole character profile, he knew that his own heart was inclined to wander and to drift. That he was inclined not to love his neighbor as he should. He was inclined not to love the people around him as he should. He too would be inclined to drift and seek to serve another God. He had to remind himself that day, I'm as prone to wander as you are, and so I am reminding myself that all the decisions that I've made up to this life that make me as a 100-year-old man the man that I am, I need to continue to live in that path, live in that, that focus of serving God. I need to renew that commitment today. And the remarkable thing about Joshua is as interesting a person he is and as strong as his character was, Joshua was an incredibly human being. You know, Joshua, as we mentioned in the graphic, Joshua was there at the tabernacle when that portable church was created. And throughout the books of, of Moses, there's an incredibly elaborate sacrificial system that the people of that time had to follow to atone for their sins. Whenever they sinned, they had to bring sacrifices to the priest, and they had to atone for their own sins. And it was an elaborate, and it was an incredibly detailed sacrificial system. Joshua was not exempt from that. Joshua had to bring his sacrifices to the priest, too, because he, he sinned just like everybody else. In fact, when we first saw Joshua many weeks ago, the people... God and Moses had to continually remind Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. And they had to remind him of that over and over and over again. Why would you need to remind someone 
something over and over and over again? Was it not that his heart was prone to drift and to fear and to lack the courage to follow through? Some of you have names of which you're deeply proud of. Your names have incredible significance and, and, and symbolism that your parents passed on to you. Some of you are having children of your own and you're uh, spending a lot of time thinking about what am I going to name my child? You know, what's the significance of the name of this child? So some of you may remember that in Hebrew, Joshua's name means it is Jehovah God, the Hebrew name for God. Jehovah is salvation. All that Joshua had to do in his own life was reflect on his own name to remember that as, as glittering a resume as he had, as, as remarkable as his accomplishments were, he might even receive uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award for military service in, uh, in, in Israel. But he knew that deliverance and salvation was not dependent upon him, that it was in fact dependent upon God. And his urging over and over again in these farewell addresses is, there will be a tendency to drift, focus your attention on God, and choose this day. Remind yourself that serving God is actually the path to fulfillment, and it's actually the path to the life that we want. That's actually, to coin the phrase from the song, that is actually the way back home. But how do we do that? And how do we, in 21st century North America, thousands of years removed from this man, how do we live well? Well, this is an Old Testament narrative, and one of the interpretive keys that we believe about the Bible is when you are reading a new or an Old Testament book of the Bible, that one of the preeminent questions that, as a Christian church, we believe you need to ask yourself is, how does this narrative, how does this chunk of the Bible, this Old Testament of the Bible, how does it point me to Jesus? Where is Jesus showing up in this text? And what I want to do is I want to link that last very memorable phrase of Joshua where he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want to fast forward into the life of Jesus himself because there's an epic narrative in the New Testament of the Bible when Jesus is just beginning his rabbinic ministry. He's in his young 30s at the time. And the Bible says that Jesus has gone to a, he is preparing himself for a moment of epic temptation. And he's fasting. He's going without food for 40 days. And he's being tempted by the devil. And he's passed the first two tests, but now the third test comes. And it was very clear to Jesus from the moment that he was born that Jesus' purpose in life, Jesus had come to die. And Jesus was keenly aware of the fact that all of the 30 years of preparation of his life, all the decisions that he had made to serve his God through all those formative years, they're appointing him to a, moment, to a point in time where he was going to be betrayed by his friends, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be tortured brutally and killed in the most gruesome manner imaginable. And the devil knew that too. And in some malevolent supernatural display, the devil, the Bible says, took Jesus to an incredible high place, a pinnacle, where in some fashion he spread out to Jesus an option that was incredibly alluring because all of temptation is. And the essence of the temptation was, Jesus, you don't have to walk that path. That path that you're on, the path that will lead to your eventual arrest, your betrayal, arrest, torture, and execution, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. Simply bow your knee. And I'll give you all, I'll give you whatever you want. Just bow your knee to me. 
And I don't think it's an exaggeration at all to say that in that moment of temptation, Jesus being the divine Son of God, looked and saw your face and mine and saw that there were two paths that he could follow. The path that would lead to the easy road that would take him away from the dark path. But the dark path that would lead to his eventual crucifixion would be the path that would liberate you and I from our sin and selfishness. And Jesus looked at us in that moment and said, we are worth it. We were worth it. And he says, away from me, Satan. For the Bible, the Old Testament, the law of Moses says, worship the Lord and serve him only. It's Jesus' way of saying, as for me, I choose to serve the Lord and not take the easy path because you and I were worth the cost. And he passed the test. And this leads into, and this unfolds, what in the Christian narrative is the gospel, which is the good news. And the gospel is a two-sided coin, really. And it's both incredibly bad news, and it's incredibly good news, and it's wrapped up all in one. Because you can't have the good without the bad. And the bad news is that actually you and I are prone to wander, and we are prone to drift, just as Joshua foreshadowed. That you and I, if in our sober-minded moments, we could chronicle all the list of the things that we did that we wish that we wouldn't have done, all the spectacular things that we've done, which we're deeply ashamed about, the hole, the moral hole that all of us have, have dug for ourselves. Jesus says to us, take it easy. You're far worse than you think you are. But here's the thing. I've lived a life that you couldn't live. In that moment of temptation, I, cho I passed the test, and I chose to go to the cross. I willingly offered myself for you. I chose to offer up my life as a sacrifice for you, to pay the death that you deserve to die because of your sin and selfishness and rebellion. I paid the ultimate price, a price that you could never pay. And because I've paid the price with my life and because of my uh, resurrection, now comes the good news that all we need to do to receive God's salvation is to choose to serve the Lord. See, Jesus' name in Greek means Jehovah is salvation. And the pathway toward fullness and freedom of life is to not try to do it ourselves, but to know that Jesus has already done it for us. The religious mindset and the religious pathway will be, and the religious interpretation of this talk will be, look at Joshua, Wear your what would Joshua uh, do bracelet and seek to align yourself and be courageous like Joshua and live like Joshua and do all the right things and seek to live your life just like he did. Do it. Attend all the right seminars, read all the right books, surround yourselves with all the right people, and maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to finish your life as well as Joshua. That's the religious pathway that in the end always leads to disappointment. But Jesus says, no need to do it. God is your salvation. I've accomplished that for you. And Joshua himself even foreshadows this. If you look at chapters 23 and 24 of Joshua, no less than 25 times Joshua gives credit to God and says, God did it. 
Who brought us out of Egypt? God did it. Who took us through the Red Sea? God did it. Who brought us to the footsteps of the promised land? God did it. Who prepared this land, this promised land that's been waiting for us for hundreds and hundreds of years? God did it. Who's conquered our enemies before us? God did it. Over and over and over again, Joshua remembers his name and knows that his job was simply to be faithful in worshiping and serving that God and that God would go before him. And, just as, and that's just as applicable for us today. That our response is not to try to be our own savior, be, be our own deliverer, accomplish our own redemption. Jesus has taken care of that for us. And the choice before each and every one of us today is, who will we serve? Will we serve ourself? Will we serve our corporation? Will we serve some Americanized dream of what reality should be and what life and fulfillment is all about? And Joshua's words to us are just as live. Choose this day who you will serve. Because in the words of Bob Dylan, everyone has got to serve somebody, so who's it going to be? And so... Jesus not only offers us that chance of redemption, Jesus not only offers it that, uh, that opportunity, the gospel of returning to him because he's taken care of it. He's lived the life that we couldn't. He's died the, the death that we deserve to die. And now he offers us resurrection and fullness of life. But it's not only that. God doesn't just offer us a, a ticket to heaven when we die, but he uh, offers each and every one of us the opportunity to partake in, in advancing his kingdom here and now that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens actually exists now and you and I are invited to participate in advancing God's kingdom. And it's a kingdom not based on the world's values. It's a kingdom not based on a lust and greed and power. But it's a kingdom based on what the Bible says the ethics of the kingdom are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A kingdom that is about making things right, taking the, the things that are going terribly wrong and making them right again and infusing the love and the peace of God into a city and into a world so desperately in need of it. And Jesus says, if you follow me, if you choose to become my disciple, you get to be a part of advancing that. And you get to be a part of a mission far bigger than anything that you could ever dream. But you've got to make the choice. Who do you serve? And so as we conclude this talk and as we conclude this series... I'm going to ask two questions of two different groups of, of people in this room today. First, there are many of you who have been coming to Warehouse a long time. Some of you maybe have gone to church for a long, long time. If you were to fill out a web form about your religious persuasion, you would easily and quickly mark the box that says Christian. But as Kurt said last week, I want to challenge each and every one of us that there's a profound difference between being a follower and a believer. Or in the spirit of the Olympics, there's a, far there's a vastly large difference between being an admirer and a follower. A lot of us in this room admire Jesus. Good man, good teacher, a lot of good things to say. But we haven't had our lives radically transformed by Jesus. A lot of us are going to look at Olympic athletes over these next few days, and we will admire the accomplishments of these Olympic athletes. We'll be admirers. But very few of us will become disciples or followers of these Olympic athletes. We'll be inspired by them, but will, it, will any of them change our life? Will our lives be turned upside down for the good because we choose to follow Michael Phelps? But for many of us, and especially for those in this room who would check the Christian box, this is the preeminent question. Are we admirers of Jesus? Good guy, good things to say. Or, we have, or have we decided to align our lives about deciding to follow him 
and be like him. Dallas Willard puts it this way. And this question is for those of you in the room who check the, who check the Christian box. There is yet a decision to be made. The decision to devote oneself to becoming like Christ. The disciple who, the follower of Jesus, who, intent on becoming Christ-like and so dwelling in his faith and practice, systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. By these actions, even today, one enrolls in Christ's training, becomes his pupil or disciple. There is no other way. The word discipline and disciple have the same root. And so if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to be his disciple, that means that systematically and progressively you are arranging your life to be disciplined like Jesus so that when those moments of temptation come, it's not some supernatural heroic burst of courage that allows you to get through the temptation, but it's all the steps that you've taken to that time along the way that bring you to delivering, to, to getting the deliverance in that moment. It's all the times that you spend before anyone else is up in the house praying and diving into scripture, not because you have to, but because you want to soak up everything that Jesus has to say. It's those secret acts of service that you do when no one is looking because you want to seek to love and serve like Jesus. It's the way that you treat the poor, and it's the way that you treat your, co your office coworkers and your neighbors around you when no one else is looking. Because every day you're choosing to say, as for me, I will, choose the I will choose to serve the Lord. Lord, show me what that looks like. So when the moment of temptation comes in my life, you will give me victory because of all the steps that I've taken along the way to systematically and progressively rearrange my life so that it's all yours, not just some of it. I give you access to all of my life, not just some of it. That's what Jesus offers, and that's what Jesus challenges all of his disciples to do, to become like him in the minutia of every day. What will we choose? There are others of you in this room who are just kind of taking all this in. Maybe you're returning to church. Maybe you're checking out church. Maybe you've had a bad church experience. Maybe you're wondering, what is this Christian thing all about? But what I want to do is I want to entice you that Warehouse desires to be a type of community that continually transforms, that continually seeks a transformation in our life so that we love and serve like Jesus. That's our desire. We will do that imperfectly, but that's our desire. I get a lot of questions via email from people who say, uh, tell me about a little bit about Warehouse, what you guys believe about this or that. You know, will, will I be welcome here? If I bring some friends here, will I be welcome? This is kind of my standard response to that about Warehouse as a community. We are a community on a journey together. We welcome everyone where they are while desiring that none of us stay where we are. And if it's your desire to see movement in your life, that as you explore this whole idea of what church is all about and what Jesus might have to say, if you have this deep desire to see your life transformed in meaningful and significant ways, then Warehouse will be a very good place for you to seek to be on that journey with us together. See, we have a radical vision at Warehouse that says that when increasing numbers of people seek to love and serve like Jesus, who make that commitment to say, my choice is to serve like Jesus, that our community will be transformed, our city will be transformed, and our world will be transformed. And they might not, or the city and the world around us might not always understand us, 
They might not always understand what we're talking about, why we do the things that we do, our, philosoph our philosophy of this or that, but they'll say, thank goodness that Warehouse 242 is here. And as a result, the city will rejoice because of a group of followers who have said, we are systematically and progressively rearranging our lives to be like Christ because that's where fullness and freedom come. That we want to be a community that ushers in that kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, of righteousness, making things right, and being a community full of love and joy and peace. Those are the kingdom ethics. And Jesus invites us to be a part of that. So the question is, who will we serve? The choice is before all of us. And no one can make that choice for us. Will we choose to carve our own path? Will we choose to see that the grass is greener somewhere else? Or will we choose to say, maybe God actually does know what he's talking about. And what if I choose to follow him? Maybe his promises are Maybe his antidote for my life is what I so deeply desire it to be. That's what Jesus calls us to do together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are exceedingly patient with us. And we drift, we sin, we stumble, we say things and do things that each day we're ashamed of. And we drift and uh, we seek to uh, numb the pain and medicate ourselves and to maybe even click our heels and hope that it all goes away. And we look around at a world that is full of joy and laughter, but also terror and violence and brutality. And you invite us to partake in your kingdom, a kingdom that's designed to make things right, to set things right, and to bring about joy and peace in your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would convict us, and I pray that you would humble us, and I pray that you would produce in our hearts a desire to seek to kneel to you and say, as for, as for us, as for me, I choose to follow you. Show us how. Prepare our hearts as we respond in music, and we say thank you for all that you have done and all that you have accomplished. We need not accomplish our own deliverance and salvation because you've already done so. Jesus, you are our salvation. And we say thank you in your name. Amen. We do have